since uh, you got to listen to me abuse your ear for 30 minutes on last episode, uh, look who's come back into the fold. The prodigal son returns. Nice to see you, Kendall. Well, well hey there, stranger. Ugh. Dirty talk. <laughs> How's it going, man? Boy, I, I missed out on that last podcast, but I was pretty impressed you you took care of that by yourself pretty well, I must say. If it was a baby, it would have ended up dead in the river. Yeah, well, <laughs> this is our this is our. <laughs> oh man! Uh, so I had to work tonight. I didn't get to watch these games, but I did find a way to sneak the radio feed while I was working. So I did get to listen to these games. Didn't get to visualize much of what I was seeing. Uh, for all you Game Center subscribers, they do have that nice feature this year that even if a game is national, you can watch the last two minutes on your phone or mobile device, even if there's blackout restrictions. So I did get to catch the last two minutes of each game. Um, Kendall here actually got to watch some of the game. So what'd you see? Oh boy, man, what a what a night of hockey! What a night of hockey! I mean, one game seven, and then another potential elimination game, and. Uh, Neither game failed to disappoint, man. Not a bit. Absolutely not, considering both of those teams that I wanted to win won. Yeah, I mean, as far as the Ducks and Predators are concerned, you want to see as many games as possible. Stretch the series out a little bit. Made us Make us uh, anticipate round two even just a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, we ended up with... I mean, I, some of the series ended up better than expected, but we still ended up with too many 4-1, 4-2... You know, I understand in a best of seven that's going to happen, but you like to see, I mean, four to two is six games, but you kind of want to see seven games or more across the board. No four ones, none of that. So you do want to see series go a little longer. It's more hockey because once it's over, you're going to be jonesing. Yeah, no, I agree. But, you know, looking back at the first round, honestly, you know, we, we spent a lot of time kind of picking apart the first round and trying to figure out how the series were going to go. And, and making our predictions, which is never an easy task. Nope. And really, I mean, I think for the most part, everything kind of shook out the way that we thought it would, barring the, the Panthers and Islanders series, which, you know, maybe you and I didn't give enough credit to the Islanders or maybe the Panthers fumbled it a bit. But overall, I think most of the series kind of went about how we thought they would. And even some of the shorter series, um, the San Jose and, and L.A. series, in particular, I'm not really sure that five-game count was indicative of how close the series was overall. No. no, the play was excellent in that series. I mean, I was really hoping that last game where <clears throat> L.A. got down three, came back, and you were kind of hoping for a nice finish there. That Those are two teams that you want to watch play overtime playoff hockey, but didn't get that. Anyways, um, well, the – We'll kick it off with the Ducks and Predators. You know, the the Predators stave off elimination with a 3-1 victory tonight. And going back to what we discussed initially, it was the defense for Nashville and it was the goaltending from Rene that got the job done tonight. And that's why we're going to Game 7. And I mean, what a series this has been. It really has. I mean, I, I, knew, the, I knew the Predators had it in them to challenge the Ducks, but... I didn't really picture the series going this way off the hop when the Predators got that start. And then, you know, we were right. The the Ducks kind of came back and, and found their game, found their rhythm, and Rene stumbled 
allowed the Ducks to win three straight. Now the Preds find their game again. Rene stops 26 shots tonight. He looked fantastic. Uh, the only goal that he let in was really kind of a scramble play. And here we are going into game seven. I don't know what to expect. Well, that game's in Anaheim. The Ducks did play very big games three through five. So it's hard It's hard to not think that, that, that they'll come out the same way in game seven on home turf. But if Rene can hold it down like he did, and if that defense can be just as active as they were for Nashville, then they got a chance. And the other thing is, I, like I said, I was listening to the game, but from what I could hear, uh, Johansson and Forsberg were flying everywhere, and if if those if if the top players on Nashville, the highest skilled players on Nashville, can fly around like that, then they could be in good shape. Yeah, no, the, the top six look look really good. Uh, James Neal pots the game winner and leads in shots on goal with four. Uh, I think Ryan Ellis as well maybe uh, matched him in the game in, in terms of shots on goal, but <clears throat> in terms of quality chances. The thing that that really struck me, and it, we saw it in the first two games in this series, is the Ducks really struggled to sustain pressure in the offensive zone with good quality chances. I mean, if you go down the box score of this game, if you missed it, which a lot of people miss these late night games, you take a look down all of, all of the the categories. Uh, these two teams were on par with each other in terms of faceoff possession numbers, all the although the Ducks had a little bit of the upper hand. Uh, shots on goal, I mean, everything was darn near dead even. But the the big difference in this game, you know, beyond Pekka Rene, because, you know, frankly, Frederick Anderson, he didn't play a bad game at all. You know, he only let in two goals. The last one was an empty netter. Um, but the, the Predators came away with, uh, with 21 blocked shots in the game. 21. I mean, that, that's pretty impressive. Anaheim blocks 11. But the Ducks just can't break through that defensive core. And your big-name guys like Corey Perry and Ryan Getzloff, they're being held off the score sheet. And you can see it on their face. Perry's pissed. I mean, he's got a punchable face to begin with. But when he's upset and he's down in the dumps, you really want to take it to him. So (laughs) it's strange. I kind of took on this love of the Ducks a few years ago, and I don't know why. Because I always rooted against them. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted Ottawa to win in the cup final in uh well, that's because we were Red Wings fans, man, and we were in the Western Conference and there there was a handful of years when we had a nice nucleus and core that they were fucking the Red Wings up and it pissed us off. <laughs> yeah. Uh it, it should be a good one, man. But the the real good one was the Hawks and the Blues and, and this series had everything. Everything. And I mean what more could you ask for? But a game seven, and every single game is a one-goal game, including the one tonight. Really impressive stuff from both sides. Either team could have won it. It really did come down to the wire, down to a late timeout by Ken Hitchcock. Not really sure I agreed with the timeout at the time, but the Blues get it done. Big difference for me. Once again, goaltending and defense always gets the job done. Petrangelo was a beast in this game. Shut down Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves. The Hawks just couldn't get it done to tie it up late. No, from what I could hear, from what I could hear listening to the game, the the Blues D was getting the puck out. I did hear a lot of times where the where Keith kept. I heard that 
verbatim. Keith holds it in. Keith holds it at the blue line. Like, but they were they were the Blues did sound like they were getting into the corners better than the Hawks and getting the puck out. And Brian Elliott, once again, I didn't see any of it before I could hear that my man was on point. No, he he definitely was. I tell you who else was. Um, you know, in the first period, the the Blues got up. 2-0. They scored the first one just a minute into the game uh, on a redirect from Bowmeister. And then Pareko, like you alluded to last time we talked, just wires one from the point. Just wires one. And gets up 2-0. And it had that uncomfortable feeling that Game 6 had where the Blues, I believe they got up 3-zip yep. before the Hawks came back. And, I mean, that was a hell of a game. And sure enough... The Hawks turn on the pressure and, and their veteran guys, Jonathan Taves, and in particular, I want to key in on Marion Hosa. He used Joel Edmondson as a as a screen. That was a sick shot. Wired in, wired in nasty shot past Elliott. And then on the ensuing play, off the faceoff, he gets back in the in the offensive zone, dirties Edmondson again, and nearly puts one past Elliott. He had three scoring chances in that last minute and change. And, I mean, you look at a guy like that, and you look at a team like that, and Hitch made this point after the game, and I mean, it didn't really have to be made, but for a Blues team that has struggled to find success for a long time, that's expected to have a, a high level of, of success, to see what it takes from a championship-winning team like Chicago, to see how they can turn it on and even up a series like that and be in every single game against a, a really solid team that the Blues are, it really just – I think it's a great experience for the Blues to, to, to have gone through in the first round is to go up against a proven championship team with proven players like Hosa and Kane and Taves and Keith and Crawford and get past them in the first round. It can take a lot out of you, so though, it, too. It can. It can. So that that next matchup is going to be real interesting. The good sure. thing is, is yeah, we'll, Dallas. Dallas's defense isn't exactly stout, so but we'll see. We're not yeah. going to get into that just yet. <laughs> no, no. The plan is tonight we're going to go ahead and talk a little bit of Eastern Conference matchups in round two. Uh, that's been decided for a little bit, but tonight we thought we were going to get the West capped off. It's going to take another game. I'm okay with that. But speaking of a series that had a little bit of everything, you had. Fights, you had goals, you had blocks, you had hits, plenty of hits. You had uh, Corey Crawford getting in the mix in the corner. <laughs> you had everything, and, and you even had some slurs by yeah. uh, by one Andrew Shaw. He's eating bird, and that's birds something, and man. Slurs. Birds and slurs, yeah. That, that's something that, that you kind of covered on the last one, and... It's not a popular, I mean, it is a popular topic, unfortunately, but it is kind of something that I wanted to talk about at the time with you. Kind of, we're past it now. I'm not sure everybody's past it. We meant to talk about that together, but it was was relevant when I hit record, so. I guess, first of all, how do you feel about the way the NHL handled it? One game, $5,000 suspension. As far as a fine goes, you can't really you can't really put any blame or put much commentary 
on the amount because the CBA does have guidelines as to what maximum fines are. And we've seen like Lucic and other people do egregious shit on the ice and they'll get some $5,000 fine. But I think that's the maximum allowable fine uh, as stated by the CBA. So you can't really do anything with that as far as commenting. Uh, The suspension, good. I said it in the last podcast. There was a situation like that uh, in basketball where point guard on Sacramento, Rajon Rondo, called a gay referee a faggot, and it wasn't pretty, and the NBA took action. Um, He was suspended. I don't remember how many games, but he was suspended, and I was going to be disappointed if Shaw wasn't suspended because, I mean, look, the NHL has gone way out of its way to have an affiliation with You Can Play and Patrick Burke's movement, and Patrick Burke is involved with the Department of Player Safety. He's big in the NHL head office, and so is his dad as far as in the league, and they're – both advocates for this and because of their stature in the league they've gotten so many teams on board with supporting the initiative and if you're an NHL player and you've seen all the commercials and you know about the partnership you should know better and I played hockey my whole life I know stuff gets set on the ice but there's certain things I understand like even 10 years ago that stuff got said all the time I've called people a faggot on the ice I I regretfully say that I have I've done it uh but in these days, these players know what's at stake. They know the affiliations. They know, especially the Blackhawks, because John McDonough uh, that, and that organization, they're very heavily involved with those movements in the gay, gay Chicago Hockey League and the pride movement there. So he should know better. And so the suspension's fitting. It's It was fine. Um you can't really you can't really dissect it as like how important he is, but at the time in that series, he was the most important player for the Hawks. He finished with the most goals for the Hawks in that series. So uh, he well he he tied the game tonight. Yeah, he's he he is there. He's been their most effective player. So just to even set him out one game, it seemed I, I pointed to it last time that the the, the Blues had their shot right there. Take the most effective player off the ice, and that was your window of opportunity. I did. I did. I will. I'll let you go. Uh, let you talk about how you feel. But I do want you to comment on. I'm sure you probably remember. I made a comment about how white privilege in the NHL makes this stuff not as suspendable, and how people get away with stuff in the NHL as opposed to other sports because there's a lack of diversity. And yeah, and that you know that's a really interesting point. Um, and I, I think I think there's some validity to it. Uh, certainly, you know. I mean. Hockey is it's a sport that's been hard to grow, uh, especially globally. you know with yeah globally with, with different races um, and cultures within our own country or within North America, yep. and you know sports like football, basketball, baseball, especially you know uh, European football. You know soccer is it's it's so widespread and there's so many different cultures and. There's so many different people in the mix that, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure these things come up. Probably it doesn't get the same scope of attention that, that the National Hockey League does. You know, I mean, it, it, there was a, a day and time where you could count on one hand uh, how many black players were in the sport, yep. for example. And things have changed and things will continue to change uh, as more people are playing hockey. And I think there's more initiatives to get you know, especially people that are underprivileged into this sport because we both grew up playing hockey and we both grew up playing the most expensive position available. You know, we're both goalies. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a really hard uh, sport to crack. 
But it is important. I agree with you. It's important for the NHL to take a stance. When you see a one-game suspension, it's kind of like the Duncan Keith thing. You know, you see a six-game suspension, and you think, boy, you know, couldn't the NHL have gone a little bit further and made a, a little bit more of a stance? And I'm at a crossroads with all that. And I don't want to sit here and hash it out for too long because it's been talked about at nausea, you know, by everyone. So many different people. Everyone uh, has been talking about it. And I think people are starting to let it go. But now that the Hawks are out, I think now you can take a step back and look at the situation uh, without any, you know, tangible interests in terms of, you know, Shaw being on the ice versus not being on the ice. Yeah, I don't agree with what Shaw said. I don't. And I'm right there with you. You know, I've said things, especially on the ice, that, you know, I, I wouldn't want to repeat today, that I wouldn't want my kids to repeat. Um, but the age of acceptance and, and coexistence is oddly and somewhat irritatingly an age where people are incredibly sensitive. And, you know, I can't speak to how... Uh, the, the gay community feels when they when they hear something like this. Um, that's not something I've ever had to experience. And you know, being a being a, a Caucasian male, heterosexual, you know, I've, I've, yeah, I've never really I've never really felt that that kind of uh, vitriol, hate, anything spewed right. at you in that direction. I mean, what can someone say to you? There's a Louis C.K. comedy bit. Like, what's the worst someone can say to you? Hey, cracker. Oh shit! You ruined my day. <laughs> you right, know, like there's right. not much that can be said unless it's personal information. Like we saw, like uh, Patrick O'Sullivan speaking on that earlier in the year. You know, like if someone knows something personally about your life that has nothing to do with race, that's you know, that's the only thing someone could come at you with. Nothing about your heritage or yeah. And I'd really love to see a day in in time. And this is something that I try to to preach to my kids. And this is kind of the way that I I try to live my life as well. I'd really love to see a day where, where people don't don't give a shit, you know. Go ahead and say the things that, that you want to say. Try to cut me down regardless of what I believe, uh, regardless of my race, because it's it's not going to affect me or the, the group of people that, that are in line with my way of thinking. Um, you know, I've just, for as many times as I've said something negative to somebody on the ice, I've had probably 10 times come back at me. You know, I wasn't the, the fairest goaltender of all time. I'd take my cheap shots at people. I'd get my stick, you know, <laughs> in their back, in between their legs. You know, I'd play dirty. Um, <clears throat> we talked about the Duncan Keith situation where he swung his stick. I remember a specific instance where if I was playing on NHL ice, I would have been suspended long-term because I tried to two-hand uh, an opposing player. We won't go last names here, but I tried to... Uh, two-hand Mike uh, in in the head as, as he came down on a breakaway. He grabbed the back of my mask and, and pulled me down, and I stood up and took a two-hand swing at him. And you kind of step back and you, you say, wow, you know, I'm guilty of that. I've, I've done this. So especially if you've, you've played not just hockey but competitive sports, you understand the, the pressures uh, and the frustrations and – you know, everything these guys are, are going through, but on a much greater scale. And the thing with what Shaw said, I think it needs to be mentioned, or at least it, it needs to be acknowledged by the the general populace. Is 
there's a lot of people that came out and pinned Shaw as being this hateful individual and being this horrible person. He might be. I don't know Shaw. And I'd hate to play against him because he seems like a real dick. However. Yeah, he does. The NBA situation, which I didn't know anything of until you told me, that was directed at a gay official. And that's that's a hateful thing for someone to do. In this instance with, with Shaw, unless there's something I don't know, it wasn't like that. Well, it was... It- the angle no one's talking about it at, and I never I never brought it up either uh, last podcast, was re- with regardless of what he said, it was abuse of an official. And and, and like if you take the, the word faggot out of it, there's no place to abuse officials in any sport. Like you that just shouldn't happen. And then and the, 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 to your point, you know, in the NBA it was it was directed at a gay official. But the thing about that is is I think what a lot of people that, well, I don't want to say Republicans, but like a lot of people that are maybe just white people, privileged white people want to say, oh, you shouldn't be so sensitive. But the thing is, like, you shouldn't go spewing that shit around because you don't know the person that you're saying it to. You don't know their situation. And like, maybe that referee's not gay, but what if his son is and his son was like physically attacked? Because the thing you say about is people shouldn't be so sensitive. But unfortunately, we live in a in a in a country where you have people that actually physically harm other groups of people based on their intolerance, you know, and that can lead to that. Like the transgender suicide rate is higher than like any other subculture group, like stuff like that. It's because they receive that much hate and vitriol from people who don't understand their way of life. And so you shouldn't go spewing those words around. Cause you don't know, like what if that official has a gay, I don't even want to say son, cause gay shouldn't be associated with males strictly, but what if they have a gay child and that their child's gone through a lot. So when that official hears, they're like, Hey, babe, Hey buddy, fuck you. Like you have no business saying that shit to me. You know, it's not about the referee himself being being a part of that culture. It's it just and you talk about you talk about how we did that stuff as kids. You talk about that. But I think the point that a lot of these people that come across as too uh, sensitive is, is that at the highest level, if you squash it, then it, it can start to go away at lower levels because you don't have an example of it. Like think about when Sean Avery was in the league, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's a shining example to show early junior or late midget hockey players on how to play the game professionally, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think that's, I think that's exactly what it is, is the NHL, you know, needs to take a stance against this type of thing and, and make an example out of it. I think probably the suspension, it could have been more. And I'm actually, if I'm disappointed in anybody, I'm probably just disappointed in in the Blackhawks organization because the NHL can dole out a fine, which is, you know, a preset number in the CBA and a suspension, which, you know, I guess if you're going to take that as a one-game suspension, then you're probably going to have to take all slurs, you know, whether they be racial, religious, I mean, you you have to kind of group it all into one, right? So if you're going to make this statement and say, okay, you're going to get a a one-game suspension, well, if someone drops the N-bomb and they get a one-game suspension, I just, I think for the Blackhawks organization, it's a little disappointing, and I understand why they did it. They're in a playoff push, and they need a guy like Shaw. 
But internally, I think maybe if you really want to make a statement, you make an internal suspension or some suspend kind him of for the series internal, or something like that. In some kind of internal uh, delegation on on Shaw to say that, hey, look, you know, this has no place in our organization. Mm-hmm. And I would have been really impressed to see something like that. And <clears throat> speaking of speaking of the N word, <laughs> let's not forget that that this word or calling somebody gay or calling somebody retarded, you know, um, whether it be hatefully or jokingly or, or what have you, it's frequent. It's not. It's it's a it's a phrase that's really not that far removed from society and how it was thrown around. I mean, it was only a handful of years ago that you really didn't get a second look for something like that unless somebody really did truly find it offensive. It was thrown around everywhere. And, you know, you, I, Greg Wyshynski pointed this out. And when I listened to him, I had already been thinking about this, the same concept. And it's, it's just like the, you know, calling somebody a retard, you know, I mean, how many times as a kid did you call somebody a, you know, retarded, but that I feel, and even, you know, even the gay slurs have been so far removed now that it almost seems like, you know, man, come up with some better material. You know, I mean, people don't use the N-word anymore, but 25, 50 years ago, it was commonplace. And people referred to black people as that. And when you talk to an older person and they say it, oftentimes it's not even in a hateful manner. It's just that that's what they grew up saying and and that's how they referred to to black people and it's not acceptable now but given the fact that they grew up in that age and time it's almost you almost don't get that that same you know sense where you you cringe when you hear it at some point all these words are going to be removed from society and you know society would be a better better place for it but i think the nhl and and teams internally need to kind of take a look at this situation and figure out how to handle them and it probably needs to be a little bit stiffer of a penalty. Well, um I don't want to say I disagree. I will say that the, the Blackhawks didn't defend Shaw in any way. They did come out and speak to John McDonough came out and spoke to his you know their partnership with those organizations and how it was, you know, they they didn't support him at all what they and, um other podcasts talked about it and media outlets like Shaw didn't just come up in his war- he didn't come out in his warm-up gear and give that press conference like he dressed up in a suit they put a background on him and made they they called him they made him they made him have a press conference about it and they made him answer for it and even Jonathan Taves I mean he said he supported Shaw but he but he did say he's like there's no place in that he's like it's a lesson for everybody like you just can't do that like the Blackhawks organization I'm not that disappointed with them I mean you want the guy in the lineup but I think they sent for the most part they sent the right message but going back to what you just talked about uh as far as age of words and lifetime of them, dude, my dad used to throw the, throw the word fags around all the time, like all the time, mm-hmm. like talking about gay people. But when he said it, it wasn't in a hurtful tone, but that doesn't make it okay. So like, I know there's some people that will probably listen to this and be like, dude, well, why do you, what are you talking about? That doesn't matter. I'm not saying it does matter. It was just speaking to an era of time where people did just throw that word around because they referred to that group of people as that I, I liken it to right now as uh, transgenders don't like to be called trannies. 
you know, like, I, like just like four years ago, I heard I heard that word thrown around a lot, and like even transgendered people that I've heard on like Joe Rogan's podcast or stuff like that, like they didn't take that much of an offense to it. But like now, the transgender community is like, no, fuck that word. We don't like that word. We don't appreciate being referred to as that. It's not something we enjoy. Just you know, like fags or you know, it's there is a, a process of time. I mean, there's still neo Nazis, and they're called neo Nazis for a reason because they've they've regenerated the hateful sentiments that they weren't even a part of when they happened. You know what I mean? Right. Um, well, we should probably well, call it on that. Uh, on that, yeah, we should. But but one last one last question um, that I have for you, and and how you feel about it. Uh, Artemi Panarin hits all of his bonuses this year. That probably would have paid for Shaw's contract next season, and Chicago is already going to be strapped. Shaw's an RFA at the end of the season, and the Hawks are done, and the planning starts now. Given the way that Shaw played in this series. Given this situation, although I'm not sure it should dictate his future in Chicago, do you think we've seen the last game of Andrew Shaw in a Blackhawks jersey, or do you think they find a way, some somehow, some way, to retain him? Two things: Brian Bickles on cap for four million dollars next year. I think they find a way to buy that out and free up room, and or trade that contract, either or. They've been trying to trade yeah, that but, contract. Yeah, but it's it's e- it's easier to trade it's easier to trade a bad deal when there's only one year left on it. True. So that yeah. that that could happen. Um Shaw was already making two million, so I don't and I mean he might double that, but I don't anticipate Shaw's gonna generate, you know, six million dollars. I, I don't see that. But I mean it could. It could. And then you got um They've got they've got other moves they can make. Like I know they'd like to probably keep Andrew Ladd, but I wasn't overly impressed with Ladd's performance in the playoffs. So that's another two million that's going to come off the books. They're probably not going to resign Ladd. They picked him up for a run, so you got that two million dollars coming off the books. If they find a way to get Bickle's contract off the books, you just cleared about at least five five and a half off. There's a lot of talk that they might try to trade uh, Tara Vinen. Like Tara Vinen could be used as trade bait because uh, he hasn't worked out like like a guy like Panarin that's on the same timeline, that's another million dollars. And Christian Ehrhoff, they're not resigning him. He's, you know, he's on, he's on their cap. They, they've got guys. It's not as bad as it looks. Like when you look at it, I'm, I'm actually looking at it on general manager right now. Uh, it doesn't look that bad. If you know, you got those UFAs coming off that they're not going to keep Dale Weiss. That's another bit. That's not going to be there. You know, the, I think they could fit him under, they might have to move somebody, but there has been a lot of talk about, they might just have to let them, uh, let him go, but he. But the thing about it is, he is an RFA, so they could get something for his rights or the uh, the very rare sign in trade. Um, yeah. Well, Shaw's Shaw's proven his effectiveness, and Shaw kind of strikes me as that one of those guys that genuinely wants to be a part of that core. I mean, it's hard not to want to be a part of that core. Andrew Ladd, the second he got moved to Chicago, he was already talking about trying to resign there and. You'd be you'd be foolish not take, to take take one point five then Andrew Ladd. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it, <laughs> actually, it would. I was gonna say it would shock. It wouldn't shock me, but it, it actually no. would with with Andrew Ladd. But uh, Andrew Shaw, I could see him taking a, a little bit of a hometown discount. So for Blackhawks yeah, fans, what is that? What is that? Well, I believe he's making two right two, now. But like, what, based on his performance, he's 
money in the playoffs based on what, like a guy like what like what a guy like Lucic makes like what is that number? I mean, Nazem Kadri just got four and a half, and you and someone could argue that for a playoff team or a, a team that goes on deep runs, a guy like Andrew Shaw might be more valuable when it comes to winning championships. True, but, but the thing True. is, guys do phase out. Like Dave Boland was that guy three years ago. You know what I mean? Like he was that mm-hmm. guy where it's like, dude, this guy's integral. He's part of the core, and then he gets bounced around to a couple teams, and he's just donezo. You know, and he's not worth that money. So, like, what what is that number for him to stay? I would say it's like, if I was if I was if I was Stan Bowman, I wouldn't give that man more than three point seven five. I wouldn't do it. I'd let him walk. Yeah. I'd trade his rights. I'd let him walk if it's, if it's anywhere over or close to four four million. And that's fair. That's fine. But because he they tonight they started him on the fourth line. So I mean it. He can play up and down the lineup, play on any line, play any role, and he can play on a top line. That's fine, but I, I wouldn't give him four. I wouldn't give him over four million dollars. And I, I, I don't know what his agent thinks, but I have a feeling that he'd want to. There's so many teams that don't have depth. Like someone would give him that money, just like just like Florida gave Dave Boland five point five or whatever the hell it was. Yeah, whoops. And whoops. the Leafs were about yeah. to give him that money before <laughs> the Panthers swooped in. You know, like someone will give him that money. Yeah, from Chicago's side, it, it, as an organization, I I would be hoping and shooting for around three point five or three point seven, like you like you said. But yeah, certainly he's proven his worth. Um, he can play anywhere in the lineup, top six, bottom six. He's a role player, so it'll be it'll be one to watch in the off season because wherever he goes, I think he'll be an effective presence. But uh, Certainly, Chicago would like to, to hang on to him because he did damage. You do in have this, to remember that series. they've got young kids coming, like that that Kyle Bond kid's really impressive, and they've also got Ryan Hartman that played for the U.S. development team for a long time. Ryan Hartman's really good. So is Kyle Bond. They've got, and those those guys are regarded as hardworking, like pest pain in the ass type players. So they do have guys like that coming up. So and just like they've done the past, you know, five, six years, they've traded guys, even guys that are useful, like a Bufflin, like a lad. They've moved those guys out because they had to, you know, and they had guys to replace them with. So they do have some young guys in an organization that could replace them. It's too bad. They, too bad. They didn't mm-hmm. hang on to Steve. Yeah, they Johns. always <laughs> beyond all that. We can get past that. Hopefully, all of the NHL community can can get past that, and Andrew Shaw can get past that, and not make that mistake again. We've got some Eastern Conference hockey to talk. Uh, round two doesn't look exactly the way we had thought, but for the most part, it's it's looking pretty solid. We've got the Islanders and the Lightning matching up. Uh, what do you think, man? Islanders and Lightning, man, these teams. I don't want to say that they're exactly the same, but they remind me. They're very similar to me. Like, like watching them play throughout the last round, it's a very interesting matchup. I think you got two teams that are very, very similarly structured. I mean, Bishop's playing well. He's more established, but Grice is playing really well. They've got both got defensemen that can move the puck really well, and they've both teams have got a handful of good offensive players that are getting it done. So, you know, like Ocposo and Tavares, you know, you know the usual cast and, and on Long Island. And then you got, like, Johnson, Kucherov and, and Tampa. The matchup's just very similar. I don't know. Who's top seed? Oh, yeah, Lightning. Lightning's top seed in that, right? Yeah. So, 
first yeah. two first two games will be in Tampa. That's what will that's what will be telling is how those first two games go for Tampa. Oh, those top lines for both teams are just killing it this year, man. Absolutely killing it. John Tavares dusted the Panthers. I mean, Thomas Grice definitely. He stood on his head and he made the timely saves. He won the important games, but John Tavares, man, from all the criticism that he received in the in the regular season that neither one of us felt he deserved, he just put his his stamp of authority on that series and just got it done, man. That last game scores the tying less goal. Less than a minute left. Then scores the overtime winning goal. <laughs> yeah. He, he gets it done in game six, jumps to um, second in points behind Ben and ties Kucherov in goals with five. I think I think what's really going to what it's going to come down to here is we, we've sung the praises so long of that shutdown line on the Islanders, the Sezikis, Clutterbuck, Matt Martin line. Um, the Lightning have younger, smaller guys playing really well right now. Like like Drew in like Drew in was really good against the Red Wings, but the Red Wings aren't physically imposing. Even though that series was one of the most physical matchups in the first round, but neither team had overly physical players to begin with, so it was just it was just scrappy. But I think the difference is going to be that shutdown line on the Islanders because you know those top two lines are probably going to cancel each other out. But it depends on who's at home and the whole line matching thing. If Capuano puts that lineup against like a Jonathan Drouin, he's young, he's inexperienced, he's small. They might be able to snuff him or Kucherov out with that line. And the I I know Ryan Callahan's very physical. I know they've got Boyle, but I just don't. I don't think and any any shutdown line the the Lightning can can trot out there, which they've got some players. They do. I get that. Like you know, a Condra, Callahan, Boyle, whatever you want to want to do, or J T. Brown. It's not. It's not that team that had 65 hits in the last game against the Panthers. It is not that line. You know the the Lightning are just are, are very are speedy and very skilled. And if they can throw, I know that was a double overtime game. But if you do the the pro rating, you're talking over 40 hits a game. If they can throw those kind of hits on the Lightning, I know they've gotten rest, but who knows, man? They might be able to just hit them out of the building. Yeah. <clears throat> well, they're gonna have to play him physical in that. I wonder if. What we're going to see is is John Cooper have to shuffle his lines. He's, he's up probably going to have to spread it out. Matchup. Yeah, we saw Kucherov and Kalorn and Johnson just completely dominate the Red Wings. Um, they combined for thirteen points, five on five against the Wings. But I'm not really sure how much we can extract from that series between the Lightning mm-hmm. and Red Wings because I think the Lightning were just on a completely different level, whereas. The Panthers and Islanders, you know, all all of those games were one goal mm-hmm. games, and for as a wacky of a series as it was, I mean, compared to, you know, like we touched on St. Louis, St. Louis and Chicago at the start of the show, the Panthers and Islanders game wasn't really a great example of how you want to play postseason hockey, but they were all still one goal games, um, so I'm I'm not really sure. You know we can we can draw too much from from the the Tampa and Detroit situation, but I see what you're saying. Um, I could see Kalorn jumping down to that second line. Philpo is a pretty strong shutdown guy um, on on that second line, and and Palat plays with a physical edge as well. So we might see we might see a little bit of shuffling, but yeah, I, I agree with you, man. 
and it does come down to second secondary scoring. And you know, you've got your Drew Ends and your Palats, but you know, over in in uh, in New York, we saw some interesting names the defense was get getting involved. involved. And uh, yeah, yeah, the defense did Dehan, get involved. Hickey, Pulak, and Travis Hammond scoring and getting involved. Yep. Yep, you've got the Han and Boychuk to shut it down. And, you know, one of the things that we keyed in on between the Islanders and Panthers was, you know, Hamannick not being in the lineup. And then all of a sudden Hamannick was in the lineup in the first game. And Hamannick was huge oh, in yeah. that series. And flip it over to Tampa, they might get Strawman back in this series. It, we've seen it. We've seen it all year long. We saw Cronwall come back down the stretch when he shouldn't have. We see Hamannick back in the lineup. I, it wouldn't shock me if Strowman was back in early. In it the probably series. depends on how really the wouldn't. early part of the series goes. Yeah, I, I do kind of like the the Tampa Bay's depth in defense a little bit better than than the Islanders. Jason Garrison had a really good first round, and so did Brighton Coburn defensively. So it is tight, man. Primary scoring, that top line is almost on par with each other. Secondary scoring, everyone's chipping in. A little bit. What it might come down to is that goaltending, man. And um, one thing that 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 I see is, you know, Bishop saw 86 less shots than Grice in the first round. Grice has been outstanding, man. I think I think his goaltending can hold up. the 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 Panthers put a lot of pressure on him. He made a lot of big money saves, and Bishop had some good games. But that we can both agree that the Red Wings did, didn't put enough pressure on, on the Lightning. And I I, th- I I think Grice can can hold up and get the job done. Uh, and the reason I'm saying that is, you made a point about how Tampa might have a better shutdown defense, and I think Grice can help overcompensate or just compensate for the lack of shutdown defense on the Islanders. Yeah, I mean Grice, you know, during the regular season, Grice was a beast, and it wasn't really until he was tasked with that number one position outright that he started to, to falter. But in the regular season, he went 23-11-4 with a 9-2-5 save percentage. And his adjusted save percentage in the postseason is solid. But the one area, because I was kind of looking at these two goalies, the one area where Grice has struggled in the postseason is high danger chances. So if a guy like Kucherov or Drouin can get in tight and break through that defense and get the right matchups, that's – that's where Grice might struggle, but I agree with you, man. Grice is solid, and he he makes a, a good case for being their number one going forward. But that's that's probably another yeah. story for another day. Can we honestly say though that this is an even matchup? I mean, given our assuredness of the fact that the Panthers were going to dust the Islanders, how do you feel right now? I mean, like, what are the differences? Because last round, I was pretty confident in my pick. I was pretty confident that. The Panthers were going to be able to handle them. They seem to have the the quality in net. They seem to have the depth in scoring. I really didn't see the Islanders getting getting this done. Well, the here Pan- we are. The Panthers did shut the Islanders down in scoring the latter part of that series. And I honestly think if Luongo would have just had his head in the right place, I think the Panthers would have won that series. And I think that's what it came down to. Is I think I think Luongo dropped the ball early in the series, and it was too much to come back from. 
unfortunately, I don't like to say that, but that I think that's what it came down to. Because even in that la- that clinching game, the Islanders played, or uh, sorry, the Panthers played very good neutral zone defense, and they they kept the Islanders off the board like the whole the entire game until the last minute. So, I I, I do think I can speak yeah. to what your question was was Are we really sure because of what happened? Well, I think I think it was a little bit of an aberration. I think the Panthers should have won that series and had Luongo played a little better and. I really do think that they're they're very similar teams. I mean, we don't know until until the game until the puck drops, but I really do think they're very similar teams. Better more so than some of the other matchups we've seen. Yeah. Longo and Grice were pretty much on par in in trading games as far as, you know, the, the, when one had a bad game, the other one had a bad game. When one had a great game, the other one had a great game. <clears throat> Big difference for me was John Tavares, man. It, and it's that it speaks to that need of having a legitimate elite level number one center and Barkoff's on his way. You know, you might say Trocek or, or Bukestad are, are on their way, but John Tavares is an elite level number one center. And let's not forget that the lightning are still down their elite level number one center in Stamkos. And so here again, you know, that very well could be the difference because John Tavares owned that series. So where where are you calling this one, man? Do you got a pick? I do, and after you give me your pick, I got something that's uh, spontaneous I want to bring up. Um, I got Islanders in seven, man. Yeah, Islanders I think, seven. I think, and I know that's a cop-out pick, you know, pick whatever team you think is going to win and go seven, but I do think because of the whole, there there are holes on both teams, and both goalies can play well. I think this is going to go seven, and I, I think the Islanders got it, man. The way they're playing – offensively like John, Jonathan Tavares I mean John Tavares is coming into his own as a captain man he really is and he's catching too much shit and if you think about it Tampa Bay doesn't have a captain they don't have the leadership who's their leader right now I mean they got Callahan and Hedman pretty much like they're lacking the leadership Stamkos isn't on the ice and no one's really been able to speak to how great of a leader Stamkos is to begin with because he's always been out he's been he's been out or right before they won on their last playoff run he was out and he was just named captain. So, uh, yeah, I had a had a really hard time making this pick, and I, I'm not feeling real real comfy with it. <laughs> but uh, I I do kind of feel like the Islanders played a little bit above their heads uh, against the Panthers in the first round, and I think they're capable because of the reasons that we've listed of of beating the Lightning. And, you know, the Lightning are capable of falling because of the fact that they are missing Strawman and Stamkos that are two key pieces key leader in the lineup. pieces, leadership pieces. They are. You know, Hedman's come a long way in that regard, though. And, you know, he's second in the team in shots right now with 14. He's he's involved in, in the play offensively and defensively. And Kucherov's established himself as an elite-level point producer in the NHL, you know, quickly. And Tyler Johnson, you know, he really seems like an all-in type of player, and you know this is this is kind of a season of Tyler Johnson that we didn't really expect. We kind of thought he was going to come out of the gates flying, and it's been a tough year all throughout. And then here in the postseason, he's kicked it into high gear, and I realize he he dusted the Red Wings, and he's known for doing that. But I like what I see from him, and I I like the depth guys. I'm going to go ahead and stick with Tampa in this one. And, and okay. pick him in six. 
but uh, I could honestly see it going okay. either way. Um, I wanted to bring this up because I got Twitter open on my laptop. Uh, Paul Bissonette, Biz Nasty, he retweeted a. Uh, he retweeted someone who, like, you know, you can post multiple pictures in a, in a Twitter post and said, this is my favorite part of the playoffs so far. And we were just speaking about how there's not as much African-American inclusion in the game. And I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but this is pretty goddamn funny. There's three screen caps of a black guy tweeting while watching hockey. <laughs> the first one says, white people have been hiding hockey from us for years, bruh. This shit is lit as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> the second one says, I guess uh, uh, one team pulled the goalie and he said, with a bunch of question marks, says, the goalie just said, fuck it and left. <laughs> and the, the third and final one says, what the fuck is a power play? <laughs> Sorry, man, that, that shit was hilarious. I just saw that on my screen. I wasn't even trying to read Twitter. It was just the top tweet when I opened up Twitter. That was ridiculous. <laughs> as goalies, we all know. We both know a lot about leaving games. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, hey, man, uh, we don't have to. We don't have to pick it apart from every single angle. But um, these two teams and everything that came out of the first round surrounding them kind of circle around two really important veteran hockey players that we're seeing some some scrutiny on some questioning of um, in terms of their abilities or futures in the NHL, Pavel Datsuk and Yarmir Yager, you know, Datsuk gets eliminated by Tampa quickly. Probably the last time we've ever seen Datsuk in a Red Wings uniform, major bummer, man. And then Yarmir Yager, after having the season that he had, is coming under fire given the fact that he wasn't, you know, really involved offensively and couldn't produce against the Islanders and, and get the Panthers out of the first round. So you and I have talked about Datsuk, obviously. You know, we've let it be known that we're Red Wings fans. This hurts, man. This hurts. It's <laughs> it really hurts to to lose to lose Pav. Um we haven't talked too much about Yager between us. But I, I think it's kind of worth at least touching on a little bit on the podcast and talking about a little bit on the podcast. Um, that's a leaving Detroit. Like, where do you stand? Because the first I heard of it, I jumped on and I, like I mentioned before, I watched and, and listened to that interview with Helene St. James. And that first interview just it wasn't good. The tone in his voice and the look on his face and the way he answered her, it wasn't good. So I, I think it's not definite, but it's pretty obvious he's not coming back. So where do you stand? How well, do you feel? he's changed his tune recently, and I think that's because he's starting to feel bad. He knows the tradition. He knows the he knows what surrounds the franchise, and he he knows he signed a contract, and he knows that having signed that thirty five plus contract, that he's going to put the wings in a tight spot if he leaves and he, he knows that. And so his, his comments have definitely backed off a bit. And, uh, I did, I did read that, uh, after he plays for Russia in the world championships, they'll talk some more, but 
I mean, that's really not much to say. I, I, I mean, I think he's gone. He's gone. Like he wants to go be with his daughter. I mean, dude, I, I got three and a half weeks until my my second my second child's born. I'm gonna have a son. You know what I mean? I can I can only imagine not being around my son for over a, for a better part of a decade or over a decade, just not being involved in their life. And if he's already felt that strongly that he needs to be involved in his daughter's life, I mean. I get that it's a dick move to put the Red Wings through that, but at the end of the day, you're supposed to look out for yourself, especially in the United States of America. You know what I mean? Like, that's your daughter, your family. I mean, your daughter could die in a car accident five months from now. You know, people people always like to think about a guaranteed tomorrow. You know, it's like, well, he could play the next season and then be with her. What happens? What, what if something happens to her? How awful would he feel if he knew in his heart he didn't want to stick around, but he did it because he felt bad? And then something happened to his daughter. Like you know what I mean? I know it's kind of de- I know it's kind of deep, yeah. but that's that's what it comes down to. When you're a parent, that's what it comes down to. Well, it's obviously something deep because what we've seen from Pavel Datsuk is just absolute one hundred percent the the perennial example of professionalism and, and work ethic on the ice. I mean, he's he's one of the most creative smartest hockey players I've ever seen. He's one of the best hockey players, <clears throat> one of the, the best two-way uh, forwards to ever play the game. You know, and he's 38 years old, two cups, three Selkies, sixth lady, all-time some in, lady in Bing Red Wings scoring. In there. Yeah, plenty of Lady Bing. Um, I don't I don't hold it against Datsuk. If he leaves, I think he's done enough for the NHL and for the Red Wings organization. I'm disappointed that he's going to walk out on a contract. However, for him to to make a decision like this, we don't know him and we don't know his family situation and how all of that has shaken out throughout the course of his life or his daughter's life. You know, we don't know how rough that's been. It's it's got to be difficult to be separated from your family like that. Um the bulk of the blame you know, obviously is on the contract. I don't think Datsuk ever should have signed the contract. Yeah, he He's said come it. out and said that he, he wishes he hadn't. Really, uh, Holland's the guy that I'm I'm peeved with the most. He, he, he probably would have known. He knows you know, Datsuk know. and knows Datsuk's family situation. He probably knew that, that, that you know, Datsuk seems like a straight shooter type of guy. He, like, Holland probably knew about his situation. And his age, like mm-hmm. the whole the whole package of it. There's no way Ken Holland didn't know. Yeah. So he's obviously, if he doesn't come back, he's going to have to get creative and try to move. He's that, and he's that already contract. said that he won't do that. And, cause, and I, I think yeah. that come, I well, think that we'll, comes down we'll to see. Ken Holland has a giant voice when it comes to the board of governors and the owners. You know, Ken Holland's the main reason we've instituted three on three overtime in the AHL and then now in the in the NHL. That was his idea. And if if Ken Holland signs that contract and then refuses to move it just just to get the warm and fuzzies of keeping Datsuk, you know, as as a member, well, that wasn't my point. My point was is he, he my point of what I was saying is he's highly respected in that executive committee that he won't move that contract because he feels like it's a detriment to the CBA and he'd be doing a disservice to getting everything right, like getting the game right, like making the rules right. Uh, that That's where I get his sentiments from. I think he doesn't want to trade that trade that contract like a Mark Savard or Pronger because you shouldn't be allowed to do that. 
you shouldn't be allowed to bury your mistakes like that. And like, he wants to own the mistake and like, you know, and he doesn't want to come off that way. Same reason. Brian Burke doesn't do shit like that. Brian Burke doesn't throw uh, offer sheets. Like there's general managers that have principles and people respect them for it. And I, I, he's, I think that's why he's said that he won't do it is because he doesn't, he, he's done so much for the league and he's so respected that I don't, I don't think he wants to put that image out there that he's willing to slime his way into, retaining somebody or making some cap room because he's always he's he's always done it the old-fashioned way by getting guys to take a hometown discount and doing it the right way it's a nice sentiment um and it does speak to holland's character but i'm totally cool with oh so am I. here because it's 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 oh, seven I'm okay and a half million with the red wings best player team leader in points at the age of 38 doesn't speak much about the Red Wings and, and how they stand right now, but that contract's got to be moved. Another guy, another veteran that we don't want to see leave the game at all, uh, was also team leader in points in Yarmir Yager. Had a 27-goal, 66-point season with the Florida Panthers. All season long, everyone's been been touting him as the ageless wonder. Uh, he is. Uh, the guy's a beast. Um, he's been eclipsing records. Scoring points left, right, and center on the, that top line next to Huberto and Barkov. Uh, most notably, taking third from Gordie Howe. Speaking of Red Wings in in NHL points all time. Now all of a sudden, he's taken some flack. He hasn't scored a goal in 37 playoff games. You know that's not a that's not a good stat. But he's Yarmir Yager. I think, and the way I have felt about it all season long is a lot of people put Yager on this pedestal. He was bringing players like Barkov and Huberto up in, in total points, and he was the guy that was directing the play, and he was the guy that was causing all these good things to happen in Florida. Not to take anything away from Yager, because I respect the man, and his work ethic on and off the ice is, is unmatched. But I think it's... I think Barkoff and Huberto kind of pulled him along, you know, and it was evident in the postseason when Huberto and Barkoff were clicking and Yager was, was getting beat up. But I still think that his presence on that team or any team for that matter is huge. And I don't think he deserves the criticism. No. And what you have to realize is all indications are that Yager is probably going to, he's, did he, did he already sign an extension for next year or has he not? I would have to take a look at that. I, I don't okay. believe well, all, he has. all indications are that he'd be back. And he, you know, they didn't have Trocek in this series. And a lot of these young players are still coming into their own. Like, look at the narrative on Barkov. He's touted as the next Jonathan Taves. And Huberdo is Huberdeau's playing really well. And he could go somewhere, not somewhere else. But, you know, like a lot of these guys can play really well. Bukestad. They've got the kids, they, and they've got the Ekblads. They, I, I just, I have a feeling that the the rest of the roster just needs to grow. You know, they they just need to grow, and so you can. It, 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 had Yager scored four goals in the series, and they still lost in six. What what what's the difference? 
Yager, Yager contributed exactly. so much to this team and just his work ethic. Like he, there's all the stories about the workouts at one in the morning and um, guys like Trocek. I heard Trocek on hockey central weeks ago. And he said, you know, he's like, there's some of us that, you know, when he wants to do his own session after practice and go back out on the ice, he's like, some of us go out there with him. He's got so much to offer to us. And mm-hmm. he's shown us what it takes to be a pro and last in the league. And he's like, there are a handful of our core guys that go out on the ice with him after practice or like do some of the training stuff he's doing you know it's invaluable to that organization then i i i hate i hate to see him slammed and yeah his production is bad but like you said there the trocek was their best player going into the playoffs at that time not the whole year but Mm -hmm. like that's that last you know quarter season stretch trocek was their best player and he was gone and so you don't have your best player and you got young guys that need some more experience, and a lot of teams need to go through shit. Like, look at the Blues tonight. Look at how the Blues waxed the waxed the the Blackhawks. They didn't wax them, but you know they eliminated the Blackhawks, and the Blues had to go through a few years of getting ousted in the first round by a champion. They had to go through it, and you can't substitute right. it. And their roster wasn't even as young as the Panthers. It's just it, it's lessons, and Yager's provided so much to that team that he doesn't deserve. Any, any f- like fraction of a syllable of negative attention that he's getting or words. No, no. The fact of the matter is, is these two guys are legends. And if you are watching the game today, or if you're just getting into the game today, go back. If you have an NHL TV subscription, watch as many Panthers and Red Wings games as you can. And watch these two guys play. Because you'll be so glad that you said you got to watch these two players play this game. They're, they're two of the best players to have ever stepped on the ice, and the NHL is a worse place without them. So I hope Dadsa comes back. I hope Yager comes back. I hope he stays in Florida because, you know, Panthers fans, don't don't be down about losing in this first round. Panthers are going to be just fine. I think this is the beginning of, 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 of a positive movement in this, in this franchise's history. I think there's nothing but good no. things to come. So let's uh, let's wrap this up, man. We've got one more matchup in the East, and it's the matchup that we've all been waiting for since 2009 when the Penguins and the Capitals went seven games and the two captains, Crosby and Ovechkin, combined for 27 points. We finally, finally yeah. get it again. I really wanted the all-Florida matchup, yeah. you know, Tampa Bay and Florida just for that narrative and it's the narrative that we've all been waiting for since 2009 when Crosby and Ovechkin met the two captains combined for 27 points in that seven game series and we've been we've been waiting <laughs> we finally get it man caps first penguins this is going to be some serious yeah, shit i can't wait for it to start i i'm like kind of at a loss for words i i don't even know what to think about no, this no i know <clears throat> oh it's going to be great man um i don't think we can denigrate Washington for losing to Philly. Michael Norver stood on his head uh, those last couple games. So it's good that they got those kind of wonky games out of the way. And I think they're going to be full tilt. The Penguins are definitely going to be full tilt if those young kids are playing the way that they're playing. But you got to remember the Rangers did outshoot them in that last game, even though the Penguins put up a mad amount of goals. So you don't know how sustainable that is, that shooting percentage. I think what saved the Penguins in the last series was – Murray being available because Murray's been awesome. And that's a really good 
point of contention. You know, you you brought up uh, Neuwirth in Philadelphia. You know, the Capitals survived that that matchup or that series in six games, and it was largely due to Braden Holpe. I mean, I realize Neuwirth stood on stood on his head and gave the Flyers a couple of wins there late, but Holpe ultimately was the guy that that got it done. Uh, he's got a nine seven point. 0.9 adjusted save percentage and a 92.59 high danger save percentage. But the guy that you just brought up, Matt Murray, is kind of becoming the darling of the postseason. And it usually is, you know, a backup goalie or a young goalie that comes in and steals the show. Matt Murray looks really, really good. I, I If I were the Pens, I, I wouldn't take him out until he loses. We know Fleury's kind of gotten past his postseason demons, at least in my opinion, he has, and he's kind of conquered his a lot of his criticisms. But Matt Murray makes it difficult to put Mark Andre Fleury in net, and this is a real good chance for the Penguins to kind of see what they have long term. You know, Fleury's got three years remaining at five seven five against the cap. Murray's got one year after this season at six hundred and twenty k. I, you, if Murray can hold it down or at least make this a real good series, we might be looking well, at he's the been touted as that for Pittsburgh. a while, so that's not surprising. It's not surprising, but, I mean, the Penguins, they're an interesting story because the Penguins have been in win-now mode for a long time. We've discussed this when we did the previews. The Penguins need to win now. The problem is they've sold off all their assets. They're you know, emptied the cupboard, so to speak, in order to, to get championships, but they failed to do so, largely in part to injuries. And if it wasn't the injuries, it was Marc-Andre Fleury dropping the ball in years past. So in my opinion, they've got a couple options with these two netminders, one of them being actually trading Matt Murray. And I know that's no. not the, the popular opinion, but... Could you not restock the cabinet you could, by doing so? And I think what they did, even though they did trade away defensive prospects and they did lighten their cupboard when they've made moves in past years, but what they did is when Marc-Andre Fleury was shit in the bed, they took the opportunity to draft goaltenders um, like a Zatkoff, like a Matt Murray, guys that they thought might become something. And Zatkoff played great in that first game against... The Rangers, and he got hurt. And if he if he wouldn't have got hurt, gotten hurt, who knows if he if they would have put Matt Murray in instead of him, they might have just kept playing him. Um, and they also have Tristan Jerry. And I remember mm-hmm. when they when they drafted Tristan Jerry, they were pretty high on him too. So they they they've stocked the cupboard with goalies. And there's organizations. That's the thing is when drafts come and go, there's organizations that don't prioritize that. Like um, people started freaking out in the beginning of that Islanders Panthers series that Luongo's getting old. He didn't look that great. I mean, what do the Panthers have in the cupboard? In net, nothing, 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 nothing long term or no long term. That's the point. Although, even though, like I said, even though the, the the Penguins have traded away some of their D depth, they do have goaltending depth, which gives them a lot of options. And I, I do, based on how Flurry played last year and this year, you could, you could, you could trade a Matt Murray. I mean, look at look at how highly touted Jonathan Bernier mm-hmm. was on the Kings, and like when they traded Bernier, it was like, oh shit, they traded Jonathan Bernier, and what has he become? You right, know, didn't seize the opportunity in Toronto. So, 
Well, the the one reason though that I see that you could keep Flurry and, and run the pair next season because obviously it was good enough this season. And I mean, you know, we talked about it last time. Pittsburgh Pittsburgh could go all the way this season, at least through the East if they can get through Washington. Um, but the other option is to run them both next season again and expose Flurry come time for the expansion draft. And you know, Flurry. Flurry would be an yeah, easy but, pickup, but all you would get for in Las return Vegas. is cap space. Uh, and, if you were to trade Matt Murray or trade Flurry, you would get something in return for it. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where I feel a, a deal needs to be done. The other the other aspect is Evgeny Malkin, and I, man, I it's not often that I advocate moving a, a legitimate star like Evgeny Malkin is a legitimate star player in the National Hockey League, but. They've proven an ability to play without Malkin. And I realize Malkin came in and, and was highly effective against the Rangers. But, I mean, who wasn't this this series, this past series? But if you moved Malkin, that might be a, a pretty good opportunity to restock the cupboard. I couldn't disagree with you more, man. I really couldn't because uh, Malkin steps up in big moments, especially when a guy like Crosby's hurt. And Crosby does get hurt a lot, or he has over the past handful of years, and he he's always that guy you can rely on to put up the points and dictate the pace and the scoring, and there's a lot of flexibility there. I mean, if what ha- what happens if you trade Malkin and Crosby goes down? Like, what are you going to do? They're, they're, right now, they're relying on a lot of young kids. Right. You can't you can't expect any one of those young kids to just jump up and take the load or make Nick Benino your first line center. You know what I mean? Like you can't expect that to work out. And I, I as as long as your cap situation's yeah, fine, I don't see why you do it. I don't see why you make the move. That's why like like I said, they they've stocked the cupboard with goaltending talent. That's why I think you trade a goalie. I know you could also trade a Malkin, but you trade a goalie. And maybe, and maybe a guy like Flurry gets yeah, you more because he's proven and he's played really well the past couple of years. There's teams looking for goalies, and maybe maybe yeah, maybe I, a there's... team gives you a lot for a Flurry, and you just decide you're going to go with Matt Murray. But there's certainly yeah, but sometimes this stuff doesn't work out. You know, <laughs> just last year we were singing Michael Hutchison's praises. Praises, you know what I mean? Like, oh man, he's the guy that's going to supplant Pavlik and blah blah blah, and then. He didn't play that great this year, <laughs> you know. Like it's, you can't bank on the on the guy playing well in his first year to just continue that play for the next two years, especially in net. Net's such a weird position; it's really weird to call. It is, and on the other side of the ice, you know, we've got the the easy Vesna winner and Brayden Holpe. We know all about him. So what it comes down to, beyond the the goaltender's play, is just or more directly, is their ability yep. to, to stop the offense. So Pittsburgh, 4.2 goals per game. Washington, 2.3 goals per game. That's games. That... Through the... It is. It is. But matching up the offenses, what do we see? Because Neuvirth stood on his head, yes. But the Penguins did score 14 goals in their last three games and, and chased the King twice, which we haven't really seen. Uh much of in, in Henrik's Henrik Lundqvist's career. So, and the Capitals too, you know, during, during the regular season, and I know this because I owned a lot of caps in fantasy hockey, the Capitals went through some stretches where they really couldn't get it done offensively and they relied on Braden Holpe. And that's why Holpe had the season that he had 
matched a Bruder record and is in the running for MVP. So Pens have scored 14 in their last three. The Caps have scored three in their last three. Granted, they had 106 shots in that span, but you know, how do you match up these two offenses in in your mind? I think you got to say the Caps are a more complete offense. They have more to offer across the board as far as what you need to win a playoff series. You know, the young kids playing playing well in Pittsburgh is is all great and everything, but they other than Matt Cullen, I don't really see a great bottom six that's going to do a lot for you. Like veteran you mean in presence terms of and physicality, presence? and you know, asserting yourself because uh, because the Capitals have it. Like I, honestly, like for the past like eight years, man, Jason Chimera is one of my favorite players. I love Jason Chimera. That dude flies under the radar, and he's wicked effective. And you got him paired with a Mike Richards. I know Richards isn't scoring, but uh, there was times during that last series that Trotz had Richards out there in in dangerous situations where the, he wanted the Flyers shut down, and he put Mike Richards out there because if if anything else you could say about Mike Richards, he's a pain in the ass to play against. And he is going to play physical. And you got him. You got Tom Wilson. You got guys that can that can do that can play that that type of way. And I just don't. I mean, who who do the Penguins got? Matt Cullen's a very useful third line center. He's not exactly physical. He's not a guy that's going to give you a whole lot in that yeah, department. And they, they just don't have that. Yeah. Well, and the the physicality is is a real interesting point too because I think I, I agree with you. The Caps can bring it. In terms of their size and and their physical play, their skill they guys out. can too, like a Oshi and a Ovechkin. They bowl over people. Oh, Ovechkin's a train. But what it comes down to really is, you know, the Caps are going to have to play with that physical edge, but they're also going to have to avoid taking penalties because that's probably the one point where where Pittsburgh could could outpace the Capitals. I mean, you yeah, look at those two teams. top power. Yeah, look at the look at the two po- top power play units. I mean, which one scares you more? Crosby, Hornquist, Malkin, Kessel, and Latang, or Ovechkin, Backstrom, Oshie, Johansson, and Carlson. Uh, Dem- based on how Carlson played the first three games against the Flyers, I'd have to tell you that the Capitals scare me a little bit more. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I think it's very even. Like they're they're not the same. They have different dynamics, but man, they're both scary. They're both just scary. Looking at some of Eric Parnas's work. Who's really clever guy? Take, taking into account all of the uh, the teams' special special teams units and how they how they set up and how they how they get it done. Uh, the Capitals' system is is stronger, but on a pound for pound skill level basis, that that Pittsburgh one does scare scare the shit out of me if I'm if I'm the Capitals fan. I know there are young guys in the Capitals in the, in the Capitals forward group, but I do think there's more veteran experience, and I think that might win out. We're not talking about old guys; we're just talking about guys who have played a lot of playoff games or, or guys that have been around a while. And I'm always cautious to make overly hyped predictions about young kids because you just don't know what you're going to get. And trust me, Brian Rust has asserted himself quite nicely. So has Coonhackle. So has Sheary. Gosh, dude, Sherry's been all over the place. They're, they're fine. They're fine. I think they're great. But are you really? Are you going to see it consistently enough to beat a Washington Capitals forward group that has guys in their bottom six that can play defense and shut you down? Mm-hmm. 
You know, yeah. are they going to be able to do it? Because that's the thing is, is the Rangers didn't have that. No, the Rangers bottom six wasn't like imposing and they had all these players that were shut down players. They didn't. What about down the middle? You got Backstrom, Kuznetsov, Richards and Beagle. And then in Pittsburgh, Crosby, Malkin, Benino and Cullen. Like how gross is this matchup? man? <laughs> it's a it's a great matchup down the middle. <laughs> It's so good. It is so good. Like I'm really not even sure if if line matching is gonna dictate no, the series. And be and because of both rosters, both coaches can throw curveballs. Mm-hmm. They they can interchange guys and try to give different looks. And we're gonna see plenty of that. Yep. Yep. And you know, Barry Trotz is a genius. Obviously, he's gotten the Caps playing his brand of hockey over the last two seasons. And, and we've seen the, re- the direct result of that. And then the coaching change in Pittsburgh got this team playing the way that it was designed to play, which is all offense, you know, all the time. And the acquisitions for both teams were huge. You know, you, you talked about Oshie and Richards and, you know, Mr. Game 7, Justin Williams, although he's taken a little too many penalties of late over in Washington. And he'll then okay. he'll – He'll be fine, especially if they go to game seven. And then you've got uh, the defensemen in, in Schultz and uh, Daly in Pittsburgh. and they Well, Schultz has been scratched. The they've been scratching him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, the the way that they matched up against the Rangers, it's such an odd matchup and such an odd team in the New York Rangers. I'm not really sure Schultz had a place there. But well, the, the Rangers lineup was so messed up to begin with, like, there's not, there wasn't much cohesiveness in that Rangers lineup. That that's why I'm kind of I want I, I I know what I saw from the Penguins. I know it looked great. It looked special, but you have to keep in perspective. Lundqvist was playing like garbage, and the Rangers were not playing cohesively. And you can you can, you know like what what can you extrapolate from that really? Like when you're talking about how they're going to match up with Washington, right? Yeah, and no, the, the I, thing I about I understand that Philly was outmatched, but Philly Philly has the roster and structure and the type of players that play playoff hockey. So it didn't surprise me that they won two low scoring games in a row, even if they only got eleven shots. They've got the bottom six. They've got you know your Shens and Reeds and Vandevelds and Ryan Whites. They've got the guys to play physical and do you in the goodishes. They've got like Philly had that. They had playoff type players that you want on your roster. And they were up against a team like the Capitals. That's a very complete team. Like the the, the Penguins didn't face anything like that from the Rangers. Mm-hmm. And it, it exposed that team for what it is. Like if Lundqvist isn't going, the Rangers don't have a shot at anything. And that's true of the past five years. If Lundqvist isn't on his game, that team isn't a whole lot to talk about. So are we looking at a systems battle or a flat-out goaltending battle? Because if... Matt Murray plays the way he did and down the stretch and in the first I'm, round. I'm gonna stop I'm gonna stop you right there. If you're gonna bring up a goaltending battle, it's not it's not a conversation. You're talking about a, a someone who's gonna win the Vesna, someone who could win the Hart Trophy, someone who just about broke a single season record. If you want to talk about a goaltending matchup, that's not a conversation to even have. Matt Murray is not gonna out goaltend Holtby. That's not going to happen. So, yes, it's a systems matchup. It's not a goaltending matchup, which I know you can cross some blurred lines there at a point, but it's not going to be a goaltending matchup. 
No, <clears throat> I agree with you because Holby Holby was the one ultimately that got the Capitals through the Flyers. It wasn't the the Capitals dynamic offense that they got the job done or their physical brand of play. It was Holby, you know, down the stretch, uh, uh, sorry, in the last couple of games against the Flyers, Holby got it done. And the other thing too, offensively speaking, is the Caps are, are shooting at a low shooting percentage. Uh, and the Penguins through the first round because of the matchup being what it was, were at an abnormally high shooting percentage, 13-7. They're 18-9 in the regular season. In the regular season, the Caps were at 9.9. So if the Caps come around and, and just shoot to their, their average, they should be doing much better against the Pittsburgh Penguins. You know, I, I, and I like Matt Murray. I do like Matt Murray. But when you've got shooters in the nature that, that Washington has on their team, guys that can bury it, like Backstrom's a very underrated shooter. Oshie is a shooter. Ovechkin's a shooter. They've got him. Williams can be a shooter in the playoffs. Like, he could get exposed against real shooters. Yep. So, what do you think happens in this series? I do think there's enough interesting and clashing ideas of systems and what's going on here that I do think it's going to go seven games. I do. And I I did predict in the last round a couple of them would go seven, and they didn't. But I do... I do think this game goes seven, or this series goes seven games, and I do think the Capitals find a way, based on the physicality and the way they play hockey with Barry Trotz at the helm. You know, Mike Sullivan does have NHL experience as a coach, but Barry Trotz is a very consistent, a very consistent coach, and has a very consistent idea and way that he likes to play hockey. And I think it'll be too much for the Penguins in the end. So yep. seven games. I honestly, I, I honestly almost want to say six. So I, I know I can't really give a, a a broadened answer, but I will say caps. It, it could be six, six or seven. Yeah, I'd pick the the caps in six as well. And you know, it's it's <clears throat> Barry Trotz's influence on the team. It's Braden Holpe's dominant season, and Alex Ovechkin last season. I saw a different Alex Ovechkin and you know, we've at that point we'd already seen him play a lot of hockey in his career. And I can honestly say that's the best hockey I've ever seen him play. And to see him lose last season, you can see it on his face and he was playing the win, man. And he reached the 50 goal mark for the seventh time in his career this year. I think Ovechkin's charged emotionally and physically and he's playing the best hockey of his life. I think Ovechkin gets the better of Crosby in that, that whole narrative. Um, I don't think it's going to come easy. And this, much like the San Jose and LA series, I think because of all the pros and cons, it could wind up being a real short series, but maybe not necessarily indicative of the, the games played. I just, I hope it's a good one. I hope, you know, one doesn't blow out the other either way. You know, I don't have a horse in this race. Um, I would love to see Ovechkin get a cup because I think he deserves it. And Barry Trotz. And Barry Trotz as well. But uh, I I do hope that, especially, you know, from the NHL standpoint, they've the NHL, the league, has, has invested so much in Crosby and Ovechkin and so much in this rivalry. And I know a lot of it was kind of pieced together by the NHL, but it was successful. And when these guys came in, 
to the league, they blew us all away, man, and they never stopped. I mean, up until this point, and we've come to a point in Ovechkin's career where he was, you know, questioned, oh, is this the end of Ovechkin? Uh, we, we came to that point with Crosby this year, and he finishes third in scoring. I mean, these two guys are the elite of the elite. They're the faces of the league. And in a time that's a little bit troublesome in, in terms of viewership and revenue and the fact that there's no Canadian teams in the postseason, this is what the league needs, and the league needs this to be one hell of a series. So here's hoping it is. Definitely. I agree. So the plan is uh, we're going to jump back on here in a day or two's time. We're going to go ahead and cover up the the Western Conference matchups that are yet to be determined. But there'll be some good hockey on that end of the, of the spectrum as well. I, I I too like you. I've grown. I I did grow a soft spot for the Ducks, and I because I like Bruce Boudreau. I really think a Sharks Predators matchup would be pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. As would Sharks Ducks and. As is going to be St. Louis and Dallas. We'll we'll get into all that next time. So I know we um I'm not sure what the time frame is gonna be on this podcast. We kinda of determined we we're gonna shorten them up a bit. Uh not today, son. Not today. Yeah. Well we'll get through editing and we'll see what happens. But <laughs> thanks for hanging in there with us, guys. We'll be back as soon as we possibly can cover the West. Well, until next time. Uh, hopefully only a couple days away enjoy game 7 yes sir take it easy man see ya